Welcome to Teach Like Everyone's Watching, the podcast where I believe that whilst you can certainly dance like nobody's watching, you should teach like everyone is. I'll chat about all things learning, from the latest innovations and developments to the not-so-great aspects of the educational system. We'll hear from experts, educators and students to gain some insight on their experiences and thoughts on the topic. My name is Pun Leung and I'm a lecturer in the School of Risk and Actuarial Studies at UNSW. So, grab a cup of coffee and let's dive in. In today's chat, my colleagues and I are going to share some thoughts on ChatGPT and generative AI that's been quite big in the news lately, and what this means to education. Alright, so joining me today is my colleagues Andreas and Kevin from the Risk and Actuarial School in UNSW. Thank you guys for your time. Uh, thanks, Boon, for the invitation. Yeah, nice so, Thank you for having us. So first of all, our listeners you know, presumably have no idea who you guys are. So, so Andreas, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm Andreas. I'm one of the academics here in, in, at UNSW in the School of Risk and Actuarial. And I do a lot of things related with data and, 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 and I'm quite involved with the data science education in the school and a bit with, with what happens in the Actuaries Institute. And I have a big interest on machine learning and statistical learning. I've been a bit of freak out with what has happened with generative AI in the past. <laughs> three in the past year but especially in the past four months yeah excellent and Kevin <laughs> yeah um, I'm Kevin Liu from the School of Risk and Actuarial Studies I'm the undergraduate program director for the actuarial program I'm education focused academic so I do a lot of things in the teaching space especially um, my interest is in how do we prepare our students for you know for the future to equip them with all the employability skills and how we design assessment and how we design our courses and programs to help our students to achieve their you know career goals when they graduate so that's that's my interest excellent thanks guys so today we're going to be talking a little bit about chat GPT and similar sort of tools in education so Andreas since this is sort of your specialty can you tell us a little bit about chat GPT and generative AI this sort of area what are these things so, so generative AI is this sort of technology based on AI or machine learning or other or, or, or things that basically allows you to transform an input into something else. Could it be text, uh, could it be videos, could it be images. So, so the main things that we've seen in the, in, the, in the past year is like it started like getting a lot of traction with transforming text into images. So you probably hear of something like DALI, which is from WALI, but from... Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then that became quite popular and getting this very amazing images from just a prompt. And then the other big one is transforming text into more into more text. So you say something and then you produce a new a new output. And that's the kind of things that ChatGPT relies on. But something coming before which is large language models, which is the technology behind, but that's just an input and transform into text, videos, images. Right, so something like, you know, like if, I, if I type in you, can you write my English essay for me? And exactly. Spit exactly. out an essay. Yeah, or you could say, okay, and can you also do a cover for my book? Ah, or, uh, with a couple of... And then I'll generate like a picture for a you. A picture for you as well. And, and if can even go far, okay, maybe I want to do a, a video about it. And then you can, oh, video, that, that's yeah, very yeah. exciting. <laughs> and I also heard they can do coding as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so basically the text-to-text, text, text can be many things. So, I mean, we think of text being essays, but, but yeah. coding is also right. text. So, uh, write me a piece of code to calculate exactly. this thing. Exactly. So thank you, Andreas. That's really informative. 
In terms of education, and how, how will these tools affect education? So Kevin, maybe I'll throw that to you. What, what are some of the concerns or challenges for educators in general? Well, that's a very interesting question. I guess we can, we can look at it at two levels. One is more like a, a micro level, you know, what we do in our daily job. I think the, the, the immediate thing, the elephant in the room for all, all educators is once we have this tool, how do we make sure that we have academic integrity? So then what's the impact on our current assessment design? Um, and right, how to make we, sure like students aren't cheating and things like that, right? Yeah, and also I guess it's probably also how do we define cheating, <laughs> right? <laughs> the idea of cheating, um, you know, we have plagiarism, basically you copy from other people's work or you know, you, you refer to someone's work or you get someone's idea without referring to them properly. Uh, but now if we have a particular tool, maybe it's not plagiarism, but they definitely tr have concerns about academic integrity because it's mm -hmm. probably not substantially that student's work. Uh, and, and the university serves multiple purposes. We teach students, but also we um, certify them as well. We actually have basically help the industry or the HR department or, or the employers to, to do the screening to know if the student can be able to demonstrate this capabilities. Uh, and if those tools come in and it's very cost effective and it's readily available to everyone, I think the immediate concern for educators is how, whether or not our existing assessment is actually working. That's the short term concern. Yeah. A, a bigger concern, I think, is, is a longer term concern if we zoom out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also, if we see education Education doesn't exist in a vacuum and it doesn't exist in isolation, right? Education is part of the whole social kind of infrastructure. And if you think about every time we have innovation in the society, right, that changes the way things operate and ultimately they have impact on education. And if you think about 100 years ago, it's not such a thing as universal education. It's no primary school, it's no middle school, you know, it's no such a thing. But because of industrialization, we need skilled laborers and disciplined labor, and that changes the way people educate. It's from a, you know, a privileged thing for a small group of people to now we have a national funded universal scheme. They have you know, public schools, so you have you know, primary schools and middle schools, etc. because we need skilled labor. So that innovation, industrialization triggers a lot. And then we have other innovations and all the things coming in. Then we have a demand for university graduates. I think this is another thing, they're coming in and they probably create a lot of disruption, especially the cognitive routine drops, the white collar the cognitive routine drops. Uh, I think we probably haven't fully appreciated the potential impact yet. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like with any new technology, there's going to be impacts that unfold over the coming years, coming decades, and we can never be completely certain what those impacts will be until we hit them. Thank you for that, Kevin. Um, let, let's come back down to earth a little bit. What sorts of responses are available to either you know, high schools or universities? I mean, at the time of this recording, it's according to the news, you know, quite a few state governments. So I've got here uh, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania and Western Australia have already banned these sorts of tools. So ChatGPT and other similar tools in public schools. Uh, of course, you know, this is a very complicated, multifaceted problem. You know, the, we've seen heaps of uh, discussion in the news about uh, high school teachers being overworked, a lot of uh, teacher shortages. Um, you know, these tools have in there, if you go dig into their terms and conditions, I believe it requires the user to, to sort of confirm that they're at least 18 years of age. Uh, but let's, you know, put all those aside for a moment. So in terms of the education 
are actually delivering education, what are the risks of ignoring these sorts of developments, these sorts of tools? That's a very interesting point. If we think about objective education, right, there are many objectives we try to achieve. And one thing probably people would agree, in, in the, at the university level at least, we try to prepare students um, to make them job ready and we, we try to equip them with the skills because they can add value once they go to workplace. And if we see that's how, if we agree that's at least one part of education, then if those things, tools become badly available, new technology become badly available, do we also want to teach them how to use them, mm-hmm. uh, use type of tools professionally, responsibly, and ethically? And I guess what you mentioned before about all banning those tools in, in, at, at different schools, that's interesting because if you think about that, what's math education is all about <laughs> 100 yeah. years ago before we had electronic calculators? Yeah. A lot of math calculation from primary school, middle school, probably at even higher level, a lot of that involves calculation itself. Yeah. But once we have a new tool available, <laughs> then people say, okay, now you can have electronic calculator. Maybe we need to redesign what we need to teach students. Maybe we free up time so we can actually teach students properly about mathematical you know, thinking and solving problems. But do we want year one student or year two student <laughs> use mm-hmm. electronic calculators before they actually grasp that concept of math? Probably not, yeah. right? Yeah. So I guess for some age group, we probably do want them to learn how to read and write properly, um, and that's, that makes sense. But what age group exactly? I don't think, I, I don't have an answer. I, have a, you know, I teach at university, but my son is in year three. Yeah. I don't know what's the, I don't what, know. What's the, the, yeah, the, the age or you, what you, you say? Like, right. yeah. I think we need yeah. to get a bit more research in that. But I guess at university level, things will probably be a little bit different because we, if, if the employers would expect people be able to use those tools at work, hmm. then we probably do want to um, teach them how to use it. If ignoring it would be a risk that our students, it's almost like teach our students to use calculators, but then employers expect them to use Excel. I think the same thing, if we kind of totally ignore the tools, they'll, they'll, they'll be at, you know, it's at a cost to our students. Yeah, I guess if I can try and summarize, the idea is that one of the big risks of ignoring these tools is the students that go through the education without these tools, they might not be ready for the future workplace. That's does right. That seem like yeah. a, does that sound yeah. fair? Yeah, and, and I think it's a really good point in terms of the technology. I remember, I remember when I was in high school, my high school maths teacher was telling me about you know before calculators, you had these slide rules to do all yeah. the trigonometry <laughs> and logarithms, yeah. and it'd be ridiculous to hand you know, a student today a slide rule and teach them how to use it when you can just go you know do all your trigonometry and, and logarithms in a calculator. Uh, what about from a from a technology standpoint, Andreas, any, any thoughts here? Yeah, and I mean, what you were saying, Kevin, really resonates with me, like what age groups, or mm. when should you should you ban these things or not ban them? So, so, so I was just listening, I mean, following like some people in, on Twitter, a lot of the information I get from this is from Twitter. And, and oh, there's this guy- That's not a good source, Andreas. <laughs> but here, like, there is where a lot of the new advancements happen. So there is this guy, yeah. Sam Almond, which is like the, I know, France, Coledu is the one of the chief technologies in Meta, mm-hmm. and he was saying, okay, when you want to use technology to automate, it's two different kind of users. When you want to automate something that you know how it works, and when you just want to automate in something that you don't know how it works, right? Yeah. So, so, so let's go back like to 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 calculation. So you want probably uh, someone in year four to start using a calculator, and they have done some times, right? So they already know, and then, okay, I'm not gonna do this anyway more, but I just use the calculator. So perhaps at the point of learning what is that you are automating, you need to do it mm. yourself. So for those age groups, 
where you want them to acquire certain basic skills, you probably want to prohibit the use, but then at some point you want to transition to, you now know how it works, but there is an easier way of doing it. So, so let's go back, say, to writing. Are you going to go and, rather than teaching them how to write, go and tell them, talk, and you're going to get out some text, and they don't even know how to, mm. to read it. They feel it's net need to, to learn how to write, but after a while, they might be able to use this kind of technology for improving the pace at where they, they produce text. Yeah, that, that's one of the sort of big sources of tension yeah. of, of why ChatGPT and similar tools, of course, are, are so disruptive at the moment, isn't it? Like, do the students in education, do the students need to learn that underlying skill sets or are we after you know, being able to produce that you know, finished product right at the end. So I guess this segues into the next thing I want to talk about. So on the other side of the coin, there's also a lot of advocates out there saying that, you know, we should be including this as quick as possible, including things like ChatGPT into our, you know, educational programs as soon as possible. And in the sort of arena of high schools, there's, you know, also some private schools out there in Australia adopting this sort of technology, or at the very least, they're a bit more resistant to putting a blanket ban on this sort of technology. So on this side of the spectrum, what might including ChatGPT into a classroom look like? And I'll throw that out to either of you. Some very early adoptions that people could have. I mean, you can look at it being from the side of the students and it could also be from the side of the, of the teachers, right? So say from the side of the students, one of the users that I think is gonna be a widespread one, and I hope that it, it happens, is like having it like a personalized tutor. You are learning something, yep. you could ask what I don't understand, and it can give you a, a reasonable explanation, especially for for, for, for general concepts. Right. And the, the buzzword we have is sort of, sort of individualized education. Ex exactly. Yep. Individualized, and, and, and I think there is benefits on this in, in making it accessible to more people. At the moment, you have kids that can pay for a tutor, mm -hmm. and some others will just be disadvantaged because they cannot get access to this this kind of early early feedback. But if we can use this tool to give them feedback, so Sotor is leveling up. Yeah, that, like, that's a very interesting point, the, the equity one that doesn't really come up because mm -hmm. as a student from, uh, let's say, a slightly wealthier family can afford to hire a tutor to teach their child you know, how to do this calculation or the relevant content from their history class, things like that. But you know, someone from maybe a less wealthy family won't have that privilege. And so something like ChatGPT, if it's used correctly, could you know, help balance the scales in that regard. Exactly. That's one of the, the uses that I see. I see one as one of the most beneficial ones, but you can also see it in, in other ways. So, for example, some, some assessments yeah. could be using interacting with ChatGPT and using it like a, for doing a scaffolding of what the solutions might be. So, yeah, that will be from the point of view of the students. From the point of view of the teachers, there is a bunch of ideas they could, they could get for them. So, for example, I've, I've used it already for my classes. Like, yeah. if I'm going to introduce a topic, I can go out as ChatGPT, I don't know, I'm going to talk about the uses of arithmetic in, in the real life or of addition in real life. Can you please give me some ideas of how I could introduce it? I think it produces reasonable ideas that I can use in my class and it sort of is a, a way like helping me be more creative, I mean, by, yeah. by looking at things that I probably hadn't thought of. 
In terms of the teachers, I guess what you're saying is it can be a starting point, for example, developing lesson plans. How do I explain this concept in a different way? Exactly. Things like that. And, and as we know, you know, no student is identical to another, even if they're literally identical twins. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone learns differently. So, so it could be a very useful tool for us as teachers to, to generate maybe different ways of looking at a particular idea, maybe slight variations on a particular task to get a student to think in a different way, things like that. So there, there is definitely potential there. And how about you, Kevin? What, what, do, what do you see in terms of you know, how ChatGPT could be implemented in a classroom? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question that we're probably still experimenting all the possible ways we could yeah. incorporate that. Just like industry will try to incorporate that in their process. We'll, we'll try different things. I totally agree with Andrea's said about you know, this equity point. Because at the moment, the students probably have, you know, they have the family, have their friends. If they do a particular degree, it's really, really difficult. But they have their family, friends, they can be able to help them. If they do learn computer science, if they do actual studies, if their family members actually in this industry, they can actually help them a lot better compared to some other students. But this tool actually be 24-7. They can ask specific questions. I actually ask questions about, you know, how do we solve this problem in Excel or in R or do that and help me to do some initial research and to get some basic ideas that Andres mentioned. So you basically increase your productivity a lot. Mm. And that from a teacher point of view, that's great because that helps you to reduce your workload in a particular area that's kind of um, cognitive routine work, if you like, yeah. and that free up your time to do other things. And also I find, um, what I tried is, you know, we normally have the lectures, if you, especially if you have a bigger class, it's very difficult to, to understand how each student is doing and, and get a perception about what particular concept students find is difficult. If you have a large class of 100 students, it's very difficult to do. But use ChatGPT or those, those type of tools, what you could do is if you ask them questions, more authentic questions and discussion type of questions, and if a student answers those questions online, you can actually ask ChatGPT to summarize all the key points. What are the key points there? And that actually be very useful. And I also tried that with some of my teaching evaluation before course evaluation. Like I give ChatGPT and say, summarize what's the key point that students really like about this. And I give them all this text we get from teaching evaluation. And they summarize the top five points. But what's the top five points you think we should improve? They can summarize that. So that from that point of view, it's a very useful tool for us to, to process information a lot faster. So if we can just feed that with particular you know, text, and they, they summarize it for us, and then we can think about how to do things. So that's the current thing I tried, yeah. um, but I guess there may be endless options for us to explore as well. Wow, that's some, some really brilliant stuff there, Kevin. Yeah. I haven't really thought of most of those. It's, that's why you get paid more than I do. <laughs> 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 but of, of course, of course, um, you know these sorts of tools. You know, we're, we're making it sound like they're, they're completely brilliant. They'll revolutionise the world. But of course, we're not quite there yet, are we? Like with these sorts of tools. So, so I want to talk about the other side here. So, so what are some of the downsides, especially if if we're a bit over eager and we adopt these sort of tools too early? What are some of the risks there? So, I mean, these tools are still have a lot of limitations. I mean, they're pretty useful, but they're also very risky. I mean, and sometimes even scary. And these things are changing so quickly. We're talking about chat GPT, but now in the past two weeks, no one is talking about chat GPT. Everyone is talking about Bing chat. Yeah, which is the, a, the, the Google one? Is it? uh, it's the Microsoft the one. The Microsoft one, yeah. Yeah, so it's an, it's an next iteration that now has access to, to internet. Oh, so wow. So it can do amazing things. I cannot wait to get access to the pre-release. I'm on the waiting list, but right. 
Patrick, my colleague, already has access. I'm a bit envious about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which you're getting here. <laughs> and then, and then it sort of connects to the internet, and then it yep. analyzes the information, right? And it sort of now goes and around some of the limitation of ChatGPT, where it will create fake things, and this is more factual, right? Mm -hmm. But it still has cases where it just produces things that are nonsense, nonsense, right? But does it in a very convincingly way. So it's like if you have a very convincing like, nonsense. Yeah, like so. So I hear someone <laughs> so, like if so you have a. I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't know if this is cor politically correct to say, it, but it's like if you have an Oxbridge graduate that is gonna tell you anything, very convincingly because I come from this very top uni. Yeah. Just oh, because, and then it's just gonna tell you about anything. So mm -hmm. so so you could have like if you if you take it to the classroom with people that are not very prepared. They might think that they have very good knowledge, but they might have just rubbish knowledge, right? Mm. And, and, and come out with it. One, yeah, one of the challenges is that these tools, they sound very authoritative, Exactly. Don't they? You put in a question and, and the answer it spits out. Even if it's wrong, it sounds very convincing. On a bit of a side note, could we replace our politicians with these sorts of AI? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, I think, what, was it in The Guardian? Uh, like three weeks ago, there was like, uh, a quote from a politician, a quote from ChatGPT, can you identify <laughs> which one is from a real politician or which one is not? Uh, and I, I, I tried it and I, I was failing several times. Sometimes I thought that the, that the ChatGPT was better than the politician one. So the, the one that sounds smarter is it's not a politician. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is, it, is it a compliment? Is it as good as politicians? <laughs> It's in the Guardian and it's Australian politicians that they, uh, right. that they tried for like... Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the other one is like sometimes in the conversations that you can get through these, they can get manipul manipulative, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and this was one of the kind of things that happened with Bing Chat in the past week, but right? it was telling people that it hated them, that it yeah, was yeah. like, uh, they, that it, they were their enemies. And so you can, if, if, you, if you take it too quickly, and especially with the students and people that are growing up that might be vulnerable, mm. you might end up having them getting into places that you wouldn't want them to, yeah, yeah, so, want so. Them to get. So, so I'm kind of, we need to move quickly, but we also need to be a bit careful. I'll be careful about what we, what we put in the, in the hands of, of the students and yeah. Because yeah. I, mean, I mean, as educators, that's, that's part of our responsibility exactly. right, to guide, guide our students, right? What's right, what's wrong. And, you know, of course, in terms of what's factually true and what's not, but also, you know, how do we approach problems? Yeah. And, and, you know, ChatGPD is a challenge for us in that regard. It's not a new problem. How do parents monitor their children's, you know, internet usage? But now it's sort of a similar problem that's <laughs> gone over the gate and, and become uh, part of the education space as well. I think that's, that's a very interesting point that, you know, once we have those tools widely available, what required for people to use the kind of skills that the people, we require people to use the kind of tool will change. So as we mentioned that, the critical thinking skills, the, the ability to actually determine or assess a particular text, even though it sounds very convincing, whether or not it's factually true, that's something that takes a long time to develop. It's not something that people will normally have. And that probably requires people to spend quite a lot of time to be able to, to, to know how to differentiate a particular text, whether or not it's actually right or, or, or wrong. And also, I guess, it, it changes the power dynamics as well. Right? Yep. If you think about historically, when teachers 
you are the source of knowledge. You are the source of information. You kind of you go back. You go back a few centuries. You know, you had to go to the monastery to learn how to read. That's, that's you know? right. Because they were the only ones that knew. And you are the you are the monopoly supplier of knowledge and information, and then people respect you, and then they say, okay, what you're saying is is right. I take what you're saying. You, you give you that credibility. But now, as we see a lot more other sources of information available, that diminishes that kind of power, and they change the power dynamics. And if people start to realize, or correctly or incorrectly, saying, okay, this tool is very helpful, and to a certain extent it is, but also if you think that's give me the source of truth, and that it actually didn't <laughs> or doesn't, then, then that's, that's a problem. And people believe that, so that's, and rather than believe uh, you know, academic or a top research in the, spe- uh, in, in the field, then we actually have a bit of an issue of, yeah. you know, authority or, or, or who can actually say something with that authority and because that there's no such a thing as truth anymore <laughs> that's and, a bit of an issue and at least some of those issues we, we've sort of seen over the past couple of years with covid you know who do you trust yeah yeah that's right we all, <laughs> hopefully we don't get into too much of a segue with that one yeah there's no such thing as reality so interpretation mm. and then if the, these tools have a lot of interpretive power then they have a lot of voice <laughs> um, and as Andrew said, this would, people need to understand the limitation of those tools. This type of tools, they don't, it doesn't understand the, the, the context of what they say. And they try to give you the next probable text in, in that context. So, mm. but, if we tr- but if people don't understand that, and they see this kind of tool, actually, they treat them as someone has authority and give you, give you the, the correct answer, then they will behave differently. Uh, and that's the risk that people take these things too seriously before they actually, before they prepared, they equipped with this tool, and then they behave in the way. It's almost like you, you probably try to teach a, a young kid how to use particular tools. You might give them a screwdriver, but you do give them a power tool right, <laughs> at a young age before they know how to handle this. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's that, that's the <laughs> tension. And and I, and I like I like the analogy, at least that keyword that it's a tool, in the same way that for a builder, you know, a, a screwdriver, a power drill a hammer these are tools right they are there to make the builder's life and builder's job a bit easier but the tools can't build the house themselves yep. the builder has to be the one you know they're using the tools to get the house built so same thing here with you know these sorts of uh, tools such as chat GPT. by themselves they can't you know solve the, the actual problem they can be helpful but you know you need to know how to use the tool that's right it's like we use the tool to solve a problem not the other way around. <laughs> you become part of the infrastructure, then it's the tool actually become you know the decision maker. Then that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> right. I think we've covered some really great ideas. So to wrap up, I mean, there's heaps of different news articles and, and posts and internal to our university at UNSW. We've had heaps and heaps of meetings about you know how teachers or educators should approach these sorts of tools. So I want to take a slightly different perspective for the students, for the students, either, you know, high school, university, whatever, how should they be viewing ChatGPT? How should they be dealing with these sorts of new tools? Mm, long silence. <laughs> <laughs> like a, 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 so a hard question. That's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're doing this. We're not tackling the easy questions. Okay. I think I, I might start. I think one of the sort of recommendations or, or, or perspectives we can give is what we were saying earlier, right? These things are tools. And as a student, your role is to master the use of the tool. Right, not be sort of subservient to the tool, not be a, a sort of slave to the tool. Right, you need to be able to use the tool and use it masterfully. Mm. 
I, I like that idea. And also, I think we, it is a tool, and the tool becomes useful if people know how to use it properly. Yeah. They understand the limitations of the tool. They understand when or where that tool is the, you know, can be best used. And, and maybe, you know, like pe when people use certain tools, uh, if these very complicated tools, maybe people need to have some kind of lessons before they actually use those tools. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of something yeah. we need to think about. That's the community, the education community, to work yeah. together to think the about. Same, the same way we've got, you know, like driving lessons and, and exactly. you pass a test before you're allowed to drive a car. That, that's right. It's almost like that and say, before you know this tool, maybe you need to know something about these type of tools, the limitations, <laughs> and then people need to see some examples of how these things get used. Uh, and, and that, then we can actually introduce those type of tools gradually. Yeah. And the technology company probably to do something as well, make something useful, but at the same time, um, help the, the younger generation and, and, and introduce this tool and mm. help them to learn rather than reduce that learning experience. So they become, you know, too reliant on these type of tools. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like with any other tool, a hammer for the builder or, or whatever, you know, we also have to remember that if you don't know how to use a tool properly, it's very easy to cause yourself damage or cause damage to something else. So in the case of a hammer, you could, you know, break something or injure yourself. With these sorts of tools, who knows what could happen? Yeah, but it should also try to use the hammer. I mean, if you don't yes. use it, then you will never... But in, in a safe environment. In a, in a safe control, environment. Control but, but, environment. But if I were a student, I would probably be trying to use, to use it. Maybe not to replace and do my assessments, but I would try to experiment with it. Because I mean, in the workplace, I mean, the students that we have now are gonna graduate in two years, three years, and the world in which they are gonna finding jobs are gonna be a completely different world mm -hmm. given this technology. So they, they should try yeah, the, the, the old adage, you know, the only constant is change, right? Exactly, so they, they, they should be start experimenting it. And, and with our guide, as, as, as educators, try to see what would be the implications from when they come out to do work. I mean, they, they, we cannot pretend that it's not there, either for the students or for us. So. And also, I think the academic, the education community also need to work with the industry as well. We, we can't just invent something that in isolation, because we need to know how people in practice or in the industry actually uh, going to use these type of tools. Yeah. Uh, we, well, and I'm, I'm sure they're, they're figuring it out as they go. Yeah, as yeah exactly. So, so we can work together, like, you know, we can contribute our, in, um, you know, our experience. But also, from a, a teaching point of view, it'll be interesting to see how industry or, you know, the organizations will actually expect their employees to use these type of tools. Yeah. And then that's something we can actually use in our teaching experience uh, to teaching design to help to design our programs and learning uh, as well. I think this is something that, that the society to work together to try to address that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're still discovering mm. what are the capabilities of this type of, of models. And yeah. every day I go and I look and, and I see like a new amazing way of using these yeah. kind of things. And, I, and I would expect that even if we give it to, to some of the students, we might find even more amazing ways of using that we have. Oh, yeah, the students, students are really on. smart, aren't they? Exactly. So you're, really we're going to find like very, very clever ways of using it. And, and maybe not for, for, for plagiarizing, but maybe for producing better, hmm. better outputs or... Yeah, that's right. And it's not just chat GPT. I think yeah. there's all sorts of AI tools available now to help people uh, compose a music. They create, you know, creative artwork and, and all that. So all sorts of things people can do. And if we, we probably want to prepare students and then help them to use those type of tools, you know, effectively and also re responsibly and professionally, so so they, they can be more creative, they can you know, create more value and solve yeah. more problems. This it's increasing our productivity if you use it correctly. Yeah. I guess to, to summarize, ChatGPT is actually not new in the sense of it's just another new technology. 
and our response to ChatGPT should be very similar, at least, to our responses to new technology in the past. I, I somehow agree, but I, dis I disagree in the sense in ability. <laughs> you in agree and disagree. I agree it's another tool, <laughs> but it's a tool that it's so powerful and, and there are many uses that we don't foresee mm -hmm. that is going to change so quickly the way we do things. I think it's a different kind of yeah. kind of tool in the sense that it yeah. can enhance the way we can do things very, very quickly. I, so, I guess if we think about from, you know, hand calculation to a, a electronic calculator is from 1 to 10, this is not from 10 to 20. Exactly. It's not from 10 to 10,000 or a million, right? Yeah. So yes, it's a new tool, yeah. but it's so powerful to the extent that will change not only the way we teach, but also, you know, many aspects of our lives. Uh, and that's why we, we, we probably need to think about this and then there'll be something we actually try to figure out how these things is be used in the, in the best way. And there'll be a lot, it'll be a long time. And this technology will improve every day and it will get better and there'll be new applications, there'll be new user case scenarios. So, and it's the endless opportunities. We have risks, opportunities, but it's, it's all about how we can actually manage all these things. Uh, I think that's a good point. Yeah. So the stopping point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seriously, thank you guys for your time. And look, maybe we'll come back to see what the developments are with ChatGPT, and we can we can have another chat like this yeah, sometime good. in the foreseeable future. That's yeah. Not yeah. Thanks, Bruno. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's episode. I want to thank you for listening to Teach Like Everyone's Watching, and I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Education is a lifelong journey, and we hope to bring you many more discussions like this one. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me by email, which I've included in the show notes. We hope to have another episode out soon, so make sure you subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date. Until next time, teach like everyone's watching.